Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the lady sheep next to me is Ellen. You. What? No, not not me, you. No, a lady sheep is called a you. No, I'm calling you a lady sheep. No, that's not... N- never mind. Let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we discussed Chapter 19, The Servant of Lord Voldemort and the Corresponding Film Scenes. Ron was rich with rodent red herring refutation, but that didn't change the fact that Scabbers was Pettigrew. Pettigrew was Scabbers. Hermione made up her own rules in regards to the legality of student-teacher assault. Lupin fought his desire to have a seat at the piano and regale us with an especially heartfelt rendition of Moonlight Sonata. Crookshanks was eventually won over by Sirius, proving that even though he's a dog, he's a real pussy magnet. Harry showed surprising maturity considering he wanted to take on a convicted murderer with no more than his third-year education. And Wormtail was living proof that Hogwarts should have a course on wizard hygiene. During episode 58, Literal Logistical Gymnastics, our Potter Pondering was again asking about your thoughts on the large amounts of backstory left out of this section. But we also included bonus points if you also made up some answers to my questions about Azkaban. Who prepares the food they serve to the prisoners? Do other wizards work there and have to deal with the Dementors as co-workers? Is there an Azkaban kitchen? Do they prepare it off-site and ship it in each day? And really the most important question... Is it any good? Juliana said that the Marauders are her favorite characters, so the fact that they got left out of the movie is irritating. At the same time, it helps her separate the books and the movies a little more. She also said that she imagines the food for inmates is magically sent, similar to how the food appears at Hogwarts. There's an off-site kitchen where food is prepared and magicked over for inmates. Aurors and ministry officials occasionally visit, but never for too long. Quincy said that he was personally upset about the missing backstory. Cinematically, all of the movies are beautifully shot, but let's be real. Unless you've read the books, you have no fucking idea what's going on. As far as Azkaban, he would think that there are wizards who work there just to keep an eye on the Dementors and feed the prisoners. He thinks it would be a bleak job, but there must be a few bleak jobs in the wizarding community. Jackson said that he didn't like that they left so much out. All of that info is pretty vital, especially the Secret Keeper parts, and why Wormtail became a Death Eater. As for the food at Azkaban, he always imagined it would be bread and water. Or maybe not even that, could be something like gruel. He thinks it would be brought into the prison by wizards who simply leave it for the Dementors to give to the prisoners, and he doubts it would be good at all. It would barely be edible. Carly said that she obviously hates the backstory being left out. (laughs) It's so frustrating. Folks who are watching the movies are genuinely and completely confused about how Remus and Sirius relate to the bigger plotline of the story. As far as food, she assumes Azkaban gets weekly shipments of protein stuff, bread, and fresh water. Carly also gave us a phenomenal idea for a new item to put on our online store and our cooking show. So I'm going to start working on that, and we will let you know more about it as I make progress on it. Ooh, I'm excited. (laughs) You should be. (laughs) Our trivia question last week was... What is Harry's happy thought as he attempts to conjure a Patronus 
to drive off the hundreds of Dementors attacking them just after Pettigrew escaped. Harry thinks of Sirius inviting him to live with him and how he will get to leave the Dursleys. I mean, does it get much happier than that? No. Exactly. But as we will see this episode, it doesn't do a ton of good against hundreds of Dementors. Mm. Anyways, congratulations again goes to Mike Riley. This is his second week in a row, which makes it the official start of a streak. Yep. I can't wait to see what happens this week. Will Mike continue his streak? Will someone else break it? Your guess is as good as mine. For now, let's just keep rolling into Chapter 20, The Dementor's Kiss, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 20, The Dementor's Kiss The strange group is leaving the Shrieking Shack through the tunnel with Crookshanks at the lead, followed by Pettigrew, who is manacled to Lupin and Ron, an unconscious Snape being floated along by Sirius, and then Harry and Hermione. It is awkward and slow going for the group when Sirius asks Harry if he knows what turning Pettigrew in means. Harry says that it means he will be free, but Sirius explains that he was appointed Harry's guardian if anything happened to his parents. He tells Harry that he would understand if he did not want to live with him, but Harry is overwhelmed and excited, asking if Sirius has a house, when can he move in? Sirius is almost in disbelief that he would want to live with him. Harry assures Sirius he means it, and his face breaks into a smile, giving Harry a glimpse of the young man who had laughed at his parents' wedding. The two are silent until they reach the end of the tunnel. Crookshanks exits first to freeze the Whomping Willow, allowing everyone to safely exit onto the now dark grounds. Lupin holds his wand on a pitiful Pettigrew, and Harry's mind races with thoughts of leaving the Dursleys to live with his parents' best friend. As the group makes its way to the castle, the clouds suddenly part and moonlight washes over them. Snape's body bumps into Lupin, Ron, and Pettigrew who have stopped, and Sirius throws an arm out to stop Harry and Hermione. Lupin's body goes rigid and begins to shake. Hermione realizes that he has not taken his potion and was not safe. Sirius tells them to run, but Harry, thinking of Ron chained to Pettigrew and Lupin, tries to leap towards them. Sirius throws Harry back and says to leave it to him and run. Lupin's body begins to change, lengthening and hunching, and he's making a terrible noise causing even Crookshanks to back away. Lupin, in his werewolf form, snarls and rears up, and Sirius, now in his giant black dog form, runs towards him. The werewolf frees itself from the manacle and begins a violent struggle with Sirius. Harry is unable to look away from the fight until Hermione screams, and he sees that Pettigrew has seized Lupin's wand. A flash and a bang go off, and Ron is limp on the ground. Another flash and bang, and Crookshanks is thrown into the air and falls back onto the ground, immobile. Harry yells Expelliarmus, sending Lupin's wand flying. He runs towards Pettigrew with his wand raised and tells him to stay where he is, but it's too late. Pettigrew has already transformed and escapes, running away in the grass. A howl and a growl turn Harry's attention. He sees the werewolf taking off into the forest and shouts to Sirius that Pettigrew has transformed and gotten away. At Harry's words, a bloody and beaten Sirius rushes off across the grounds after the rat. Harry and Hermione go to Ron, who is breathing but unconscious. Harry looks around and sees that Lupin and Sirius are both gone and Snape is still unconscious and says they should all get back to the castle and tell someone when they hear the sounds of a dog in pain. Harry and Hermione hesitate, and knowing that they could do nothing for Ron at the moment, they run towards the sound of yelping near the lake. Harry feels cold as they near the lake and they see Sirius as a man on all fours, moaning, no, no please, before they see the countless Dementors gliding towards him. 
They surround him and Harry feels ice cold, his vision fogging as he tells Hermione to try and think of something happy and lifts his own wand, trying to clear his mind of the faint screaming he's starting to hear. Thinking only of Sirius, Harry begins repeating Expecto Patronum. Hermione tries to help, but the Dementors are closing in on them, and Harry feels her fall to the ground next to him as a thin silver mist escapes his wand. All alone now, Harry falls to his knees and struggles to remember that Sirius is innocent. He's barely able to repeat the incantation, but manages to hold back one of the Dementors with his misty Patronus. Harry feels and hears the rattling breath of the Dementor surrounding them and the nearest one lowers its hood with rotten hands, revealing gray, scabby skin and a gaping hole of a mouth. Paralyzed by fear, Harry's Patronus disappears, leaving him blinded by fog and hearing the screams of his mother. He finds Sirius's arm before he begins to feel his face being forced towards the Dementor's foul mouth. Through the fog filling his vision, Harry sees a silvery light growing brighter, and he collapses, barely able to open his eyes. The light begins circling them, and the screams of his mother fade as the air grows warmer. Harry manages to look up and see a silver animal gallop across the lake and stop next to somebody who looked very familiar, but somebody it couldn't be. Completely drained and unable to hold his head up or think anymore, Harry faints and falls to the ground. The movie scene starts out with Harry and Sirius helping Ron walk down the stairs in the tunnel under the Whomping Willow as Hermione walks behind them. Sirius apologizes to Ron for the bite, saying he reckons it twinges a bit, Ron doesn't seem to think a bit quite covers it, telling Black that he almost tore his leg off. Sirius tells him that he was going for the rat, and he normally has a very sweet disposition as a dog, and more than once James actually suggested that he make the change permanent. Sirius confides in them that the tail he can live with, but the fleas are murder. They exit the tree and help Ron sit down near the base of it. Harry and Hermione kneel down next to him as Sirius walks off a bit, looking towards the castle. Hermione and Ron encourage Harry to go talk to him, and he follows after him as Hermione stays back to check on Ron's leg. She tells him that it looks really painful, and Ron agrees that it is, saying they might have to chop it. As they continue discussing his leg, Harry approaches Sirius, and the two look up at the castle. Sirius calls it beautiful and says that he will never forget the first time he walked through the doors, and that it will be nice to do it again as a free man. He tells Harry that saving Peter was a noble thing, and he doesn't deserve it. Harry explains that he just didn't think his dad would want his two best friends to become killers, and dead the truth dies with him, but alive he's free. In the background, Lupin is holding Pettigrew at one point as they emerge from the Whomping Willow. Pettigrew is pleading with Ron and Hermione to help save him, so he isn't left to the Dementors. Harry and Sirius briefly look back over at them, then return to their conversation. Sirius tells Harry that he doesn't know if he knows, but Sirius is his godfather and offers for Harry to go and live with him, saying he would understand if he wanted to stay with his aunt and uncle. Before Harry can answer, Hermione calls out his name and points at the full moon becoming visible as the clouds part and it moves from behind a mountain. The camera focuses on Lupin's face as the moonlight touches him and zooms all the way into his eye, showing the reflection of the full moon in his pupil as it dilates and the iris shifts from blue to green and his eye becomes bloodshot. The camera zooms back out as Sirius runs to Lupin, who is beginning to transform. Sirius reaches him, asking if he has taken his potion and reminding him of who he truly is as he holds him back. Harry rushes to his friends and he and Hermione help Ron up. Lupin drops his wand and Pettigrew snatches it up, pointing it at his own head. Before he can cast anything, Harry disarms him, sending the wand spinning out of his hand. Instead, Pettigrew gives a very rat-like smile and waves as he transforms back into a rat, leaving his clothes in a pile on the ground and runs off. 
Harry starts to go after him, but Hermione grabs his arm and pulls him back as Sirius and Remus continue to struggle. The camera focuses on Lupin's nails as they become pointed and cuts to his screaming face before shifting around to his back. His jacket tears off and his legs elongate as he transforms into a humanoid wolf and throws Sirius out of sight. He hunches over, whimpering, and Hermione cautiously takes a few steps towards him and calls him Professor Lupin. He looks up at her and hesitates for a second before howling up at the full moon. As Ron whimpers, Nice doggy, nice doggy, the werewolf begins walking towards them. Snape exits the Whomping Willow and gets in between the trio and the werewolf without even noticing him at first. He starts to lecture Harry before he is quickly distracted by the growl of the werewolf and turns around, this time deliberately putting himself between Lupin and the kids. The werewolf slashes at him, knocking all four of them to the ground, and rears back to slash again when he is tackled by Sirius in his dog form. Snape keeps Harry, Ron, and Hermione behind him as Lupin and Sirius continue to battle in their animal forms. The werewolf knocks the large black dog backward and turns back towards Snape and the trio. Getting back up, the dog lunges at the werewolf's arm and diverts his attention, running off and leading the werewolf after him. Harry calls out Sirius's name and darts around Snape to run after him. He pauses to watch as the werewolf lifts the dog up in the air and throws him into a rock. The dog gets back up, but before he can fight any more, Harry runs forward and throws a rock at the werewolf, who immediately turns toward him. The werewolf rushes towards Harry, but stops and looks off in the distance as they hear a howl. After a second howl, he runs off in the direction it came from, leaving Harry alone with the injured dog that whimpers and turns back into Sirius as he tries to get up and walk. Harry hurries after him, finding Sirius next to the lake as it starts to freeze over. The camera focuses on Sirius's face as he opens his eyes and gasps. The shot switches to an aerial view, showing us hundreds of Dementors flying above them. Some of the Dementors swoop down and begin to draw from Sirius. Harry stands up and points his wand up at them, bellowing, Expecto Patronum! A white light emits from his wand, but it isn't strong enough to keep the Dementors back, and the light fades as they begin attacking him as well. Harry screams and falls to his knees on the ground next to Sirius, as the Dementors continue to suck away their happiness. A Dementor descends upon Sirius, and they all begin to surround them. A small but brilliant blue-white light emerges from Sirius's mouth. Harry whispers his name as he watches and looks up, seeing another light across the water. In the form of a stag, it emanates even more bright white light and drives all the Dementors away. The little blue-white light returns to Sirius's mouth and he gasps. The light from the stag begins to fade as Harry also starts to lose consciousness, barely making out the person in the distance who had cast the Patronus before everything fades to black. Again, these scenes are running fairly parallel, with some definite differences in things left out or changed. But both the book and the movie start out with the group leaving the Shrieking Shack through the tunnel under the Whomping Willow Tree. The movie shows Sirius and Harry helping Ron walk down the stairs in the tunnel, due to the bite on his leg that Sirius apologizes for. I'm intrigued that Ron had more of a reaction to a dog bite than his pet of 12 years turning into a grubby old man. Like, really. The movie could have given him some sort of reaction to the Wormtail reveal. Yeah, in the previous chapter of the book, he was horrified and disgusted because he'd let him sleep in his bed. Mm-hmm. But the movie changed things from how the book had it. Oh, shocker. Yeah, I know. <laughs> One difference is that Crookshanks was in the scene leading the way through the tunnel. Ron's leg had been strapped up because it was broken and not bitten, so he was able to walk on his own, and he and Lupin were manacled to Pettigrew so he wouldn't escape. Which they did not do in the movie scene. 
It doesn't even show Lupin and Pettigrew in the opening of the section. They arrive a bit later in the scene. And they also just leave Snape out until later, too. Mm -hmm. In the book, they decided to leave him unconscious until they got him back to the castle. So that left Sirius in charge of guiding his floating body down the tunnel. And he doesn't care enough to make sure that Snape's head doesn't keep banging into the low ceiling of the tunnel. (laughs) Which, even if they had included Snape in this part of the movie scene, they couldn't have done that because the tunnel didn't have low ceilings. Another noticeable change from the book to the movie is that in the book... The conversation between Harry and Sirius about Pettigrew's capturing, meaning Sirius is free, and his invitation for Harry to come live with him happens on the walk through the tunnel. Yeah, the movie definitely set that up differently and put it a little bit later on. So we'll go more into that when we get to that part. In the movie, the only conversation in the tunnel centered around Sirius apologizing to Ron for biting his leg and explaining that he normally has a very sweet disposition as a dog, to the point that more than once James suggested making the change permanent. He also confides that the tail he can live with, but the fleas are murder. I get that this was supposed to be funny, but ew. (laughs) Also, why would turning into a dog automatically mean he has fleas? Because if he did get fleas as a dog, would they just magically go away when he returned to human? I don't know. Maybe he's more likely to roll around in flea-infested areas as a dog than he is as a human. Like, if he gets fleas as a human, they're probably easier to clean off of him. My cats got fleas one time, and I didn't realize it until, like, I took them with me to go visit my parents, and I noticed that they had fleas while I was there. So I bathed them there, and then we were gone the whole week, and I got back to my apartment, and my apartment had so many fleas in them Ew. that I walked through my living room, and there was, like, 20 on either leg, and I just sort of panicked and started vacuuming them off my legs. <laughs> But yeah, so when I think of fleas, that's what I automatically think of. It was traumatizing. And I just, I have a really hard time finding that comment funny because it just, I remember being covered in fleas and I'm just like, oh God, no. (laughs) Why would you go there? Were they murder? Is that what you're telling me? Were the fleas murder? murder. They were murder. But then they exit the tunnel and help Ron sit down right next to the Whomping Willow, which is just all of a sudden magically still because, you know, why not? Never mind the fact that every other time anything goes near it, it goes full on murder tree. It goes on a murdering tree. Like a murdering spree? Uh Uh-huh. The book had Crookshanks exit first and hit the knot to freeze the tree so that it would be safe for everyone else to exit. And I prefer that because it was really inconsistent that the movie took this tree that they had clearly established as a tree whose bite is actually worse than its bark by having it rip anything that comes near it limb from limb Then it decides it's going to branch out in a completely different direction and turn it into a normal tree. The root of the problem here is the inconsistency. There's no explanation as to why the tree all of a sudden leaves them alone. It would be nice if they had given us an explanation because truly, I'm stumped. Are you serious? (laughs) Are you done? No, I am not. It's a real mystery. Oh my god. Can we please just keep rolling? (laughs) <laughs> fine Ugh, only since i can Jesus. tell you're pining for me to stop <laughs> you are so lucky we're not recording in person today oh my gosh oh, holy anyways. shit wow like i mentioned in the book harry and sirius talk about new living arrangements for harry and sirius doesn't think he would actually want to but harry is so excited over the possibility he accidentally hits his head on the low ceiling and then tells Sirius that of course he wants to leave the Dursleys, wondering if he has a house and when he can move in. This makes Sirius actually smile. 
and that makes him look years younger and more like the man smiling in the wedding photo with Harry's parents. As I mentioned before, this conversation does happen a bit later, but it's definitely different from how the book had it. Not just because they weren't in the tunnel. Yeah, but then they finish the walk through the tunnel in silence and exit through the tree after Crookshanks pushes the knot to freeze it. Once everyone is out, they start walking across the grounds to head back towards the castle. Which I already mentioned is different in the movie, since they exit the tunnel and sit Ron down to rest. Harry and Hermione kneel down next to Ron to check on him, and Sirius walks off to look up at the castle. Harry looks after him, and Hermione tells him to go. She'll stay with Ron. Way to play wingman so Harry can get his feels on with a guy he wanted to straight up murder half an hour ago, right? It's probably good he's given an opportunity to sort through those feelings. Like, so sorry I wanted to murder you? (laughs) Yeah, that probably did warrant a conversation, you know. Then as Harry is following after Sirius, Ron and Hermione are talking about Ron's leg. And I'm not sure if the movie did this deliberately, but the way Ron is whining about his leg and saying they'll need to chop it off rings strongly of Nazi von Douchebag II's reaction to being attacked by Buckbeak. Like, sometimes it feels like Ron and Draco are two sides of the same coin, and I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that. So I always viewed this as Ron making fun of Draco by saying that. Hmm. Because for sure it's meant to be funny and play into the comedy aspect of the film. I mean, the wound didn't even look all that bad. They just basically squirted ketchup on his leg and called it a day. True. I don't know. It was just, it felt more like Ron being whiny. Because Hermione even follows it up by saying, oh, I'm sure Madame Pomfrey will be able to fix it in a jiff or whatever. Right, but then he just kept going, oh, no, they're going to have to chop it. But that's why I thought he was serious. That's why I thought he was like... That made me think he was being sarcastic the whole time. Oh, see? Yeah, that's funny. I always took it as him being serious. Well, he wasn't serious, serious, he's Ron. (laughs) (laughs) I always thought he was being legit, though. Just the way he's looking at it and the way he was bitching to Sirius in the in the tunnel about you almost took my leg off and all that shit. Like it just kind of felt like it was just him being a whiny bitch. And it just felt so much like when Draco was milking it. Yeah, but Sirius had said, I imagine that twinges a bit. And I'm, I'm like, you know, it hurt. Like it obviously hurt. So the whole like a bit like yeah he's ron he's the comic relief especially in the movies so i just felt like they took that opportunity to poke some fun at malfoy and it just it didn't seem sincere that's an interesting way of, of seeing it i, I never he really just thought looked about really it like way. no they they might have to chop it like <laughs> i don't know like it just i did not take it as him really thinking they were going to cut off his leg at all i thought he was just giving us a little flashback on how ridiculous malfoy was being but to be funny interesting It doesn't really matter. That's not how it happened in the book. You know, there is that. (laughs) (laughs) However, it is part of the movie. And this is the part of the film where Sirius invites Harry to live with him. And I love the Harry and Sirius heart-to-heart they have looking over at Hogwarts, but all I can think is, holy fuck, they have a long way to walk back. Like, oh my god. Yet again, Hogwarts equals hella cardio. Yeah, it definitely made for a beautiful visual during the conversation, but that is a hell of a hike. Right? But also, I mean, good on you, Harry, to be like, hey, maybe let's not kill the only guy who can prove he wasn't killed by you. Just saying. Yeah, it was a fairly rare, very intelligent moment for Harry. Mm Mm-hmm. He also tells Sirius that he didn't think his dad would want his best friends to become killers, 
And that was his reasoning in the book, too, as we mentioned last week. Yeah, and then while Sirius and Harry are talking, Remus and Peter exit the still motionless Whomping Willow. And back to what I was saying about Ron's lack of reaction to his pet turning into a man. A man? A man! <laughs> they couldn't <laughs> even give him a reaction aside from a surprised look when they were outside and Wormtail was trying to remind him of the good old days, as though he wasn't really a dude in a super convincing rat costume the whole damn time. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't even really leave time for him to react. Peter started pleading with Ron, then immediately with Hermione. It was a bit reminiscent of the previous book chapter when he did exactly that, but they were both given time to properly react in the book. Mm -hmm. In the movie, it was a bit more shoehorned in and completely interrupted Harry and Sirius's conversation. Which it does cut right back to. And the moment Sirius mentions Harry moving in with him, my heart breaks so hard. Just so hard. Firstly, because Sirius's look of trepidation. Like, he's desperately trying to keep his cool, but you can tell he has no chill whatsoever. Like, he doesn't want to try too hard, but you know goddamn well if he were in dog form, his tail would be wagging like crazy. Because he's such a good boy. Who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? <laughs> Sirius is. Badfoot's a good boy. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, sometimes when I get really excited about things, I literally wiggle my butt and pretend like I have a tail that I'm wagging. So now I'm imagining crazy Gary Oldman just wiggling his butt during this scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it doesn't surprise me that you wiggle your butt. No, it shouldn't surprise anybody. <laughs> if you're like, just from listening to this podcast, you guys even are not surprised. Everybody knows. That I wag my tail when I get you're, excited. You're a butt wiggler. Everybody knows. <laughs> we can hear it in your voice, Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wagging my tail. Stop making fun of me. <laughs> not making fun, just pointing it out. <laughs> also, secondly... Secondly, Harry's moment of light at the end of the tunnel excitement at the prospect of not having to go back to the Dursleys is just beyond adorable. Yeah, I was a little bummed that Harry never got to give him an actual answer in the movie like he did in the book. It was just such a sweet moment that showed how close Sirius was with James considering how happy it made him that Harry wanted to go live with him. Yeah, however, knowing how it turns out and how that must have absolutely crushed both parties... It just feels like letting a Dementor get to second base. Yeah, it's like a really fucked up game of seven minutes in heaven. Or hell in this case. Yeah, hell for a spell. <laughs> yeah, that tracks, sure. But anyway, you're right, Harry never does get to answer Sirius, because Hermione interrupts when she calls out his name because of what is going on with Lupin. So, it's obviously been nighttime for a while, so why does Lupin only start to transform when the clouds part? Like, shouldn't it have started when the moon came out to begin with? Does a werewolf have to be exposed to direct moonlight to transform? And if that's the case, shouldn't he be safe from transforming if he's inside a windowless room or on an overcast night or something? I think our Potter pondering could center around this. It's also actually a little similar to the book, where the clouds part, revealing the full moon, and Lupin goes rigid and begins to shake. My best guess is that the transformation occurs at a certain point that the full moon hits the sky, like, it's a certain time that is officially the full moon. Yeah. And that just happened to conveniently be as the clouds parted for dramatic effect. I guess so. That still seems very weird. But I mean, hey. That's why I think we should get other people's opinions, too. Definitely. We really need it. <laughs> 
The film, of course, dramatizes the transformation a little bit, but in the process creates a really cool visual with the way the moon reflects in his pupil and his eyes change. Oh, yeah, that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Sirius comes running up asking if he's taken his potion, and this is the only time the potion was mentioned in the film. Which is also a completely inaccurate use of the potion, since it seems highly unlikely that Sirius would even know that there was a potion Lupin was taking, as it mm -hmm. hadn't been invented before he went to Azkaban. In the book, it was Hermione who remembers that he hadn't taken his potion, as Snape had mentioned it before they overenthusiastically disarmed him. He shot him across the room? Yeah. That's, that's one way to put it, yes. <laughs> for enthusiastically disarmed. <laughs> I mean, God that's what they damn. did. It didn't end well for Snape, but <laughs> anytime I, I knock someone on their ass, I'm just gonna say, "Oh, sorry, I over enthusiastically hugged you." Do you knock <laughs> a lot of people on their asses? I mean, it happens from time to time. I've got a big ass; it knocks over a lot of things. But Sirius also tells Lupin to remember where his heart truly lies, as he holds him back during the transformation. Harry hurries over to Ron and Hermione, and around the same time, Lupin drops his wand. In the book, Sirius tells them to run, but they can't because Ron is chained to Pettigrew and Lupin. Sirius tells Harry to leave it to him, and as Lupin's head and body lengthen, Sirius transforms into the large black dog. The werewolf pulls itself free of the manacle, and the dog grabs him by the neck and pulls him away from Ron and Pettigrew, leaving Lupin's wand behind on the ground. In both, Pettigrew goes after Lupin's dropped wand, and I want to know why the fuck movie Pettigrew takes a jazz stance when he picks up the wand. Like, is he practicing for a musical? Was his charms teacher Bob fucking Fosse? Maybe. <laughs> he had jazz hands, for fuck's sake. Well, in the book, it doesn't sound like he struck a pose. He immediately attacked Ron and Crookshanks before Harry is able to disarm him. Harry disarms him in the movie, too, and again, he uses Expelliarmus, and all it does is flick the wand out of Pettigrew's hand. I feel like this would have been the most opportune time for that spell to go all crazy Gary Oldman and knock Wormtail on his ass. Right? Right? But then he wouldn't have been able to transform, which is exactly what he did next in both the book and the movie. In the book, around the same time, the werewolf knocks Sirius down and runs off into the woods himself. Harry yells to Sirius that Pettigrew transformed and got away, and the bleeding dog scrambles back up and runs after him. Harry and Hermione go to check on Ron, who is still breathing, but they aren't quite sure what to do since the only company they are left with is the unconscious floating Snape. Conscious or unconscious, that's just no company at all. <laughs> In the movie, when Pettigrew changes, it makes me irrationally, or maybe completely rationally, angry that Pettigrew's clothes don't transform with him. Especially since it was established that when he goes from rat to man, he is clothed. And we also know from our conversation in our bonus Potterheads A History episode that when an Animagus transforms into their animal form, their clothes actually bond to their bodies. So it makes perfect sense that when he went from rat to man, he had clothes appear. Yeah. And it does not make perfect sense that when he goes from man to rat, the clothes stay behind. If he transformed with clothes on, he better damn well take those clothes with him when he transforms back or vice versa. Mind you, not that I want to see a bare-ass naked Timothy Spall. His son Rafe, however, well, let's just say I'm totally renting that movie in 4K HD. But I digress. Yeah, just a little, but let me know when you rent it. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm good now. Thanks. The movie actually focuses more attention on the struggle between Lupin and Sirius in their animal forms, which isn't surprising at all considering the action of it. 
Another big difference is that when Lupin initially transforms, he knocks Sirius backwards and stands kind of hunched over quietly, just breathing. And Hermione slightly approaches him and addresses him as Professor Lupin, in the hope that he still is Lupin in there somewhere. Yeah, that definitely didn't happen in the book. Mm, Nope. Although I do love Ron in the background just going, bad idea, bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Werewolf Lupin pauses for a second, then howls and begins to walk toward the trio. At this point, Snape, who they apparently had just left unconscious back in the Shrieking Shack, emerges from the Whomping Willow and somehow doesn't notice the werewolf at all. Well, of course not. Snape is totally in tunnel vision mode. Harry attacked him. He must retaliate. Sorry. Tunnel vision. (laughs) That's what I thought the joke was. Nope, that one was an accident. (laughs) (laughs) I pun so much I can't even help it. (laughs) Yeah, though it isn't long before he is completely sidetracked by the approaching werewolf. Understandably so. Right. And another often talked about and somewhat controversial difference from the book to the movie... Snape puts himself between the werewolf and Harry, Ron, and Hermione to protect them. I do find this to be controversial, specifically because that's not how it happened in the book. Snape was unconscious the entire time and never even participated in any of this drama. However, I genuinely believe that if he had been awake, he would have done exactly what they had him do in the movie. I think that this is one of those moments that Rowling was referring to about the movie including things that she hadn't even written yet. This clearly showed the side of Snape that was intended to be revealed later in the books. I was thinking that myself. Like, hey, this is probably one of those moments where Alan Rickman knew Mm -hmm. because he had talked to Joe about things. And she explained to him, like, things about Snape's character. And so he knew, like, yeah, Snape would do this. I mean, he was a dick, but he was ultimately a protector. Yeah. He promised Dumbledore that he would protect the students. So I genuinely Mm -hmm. think that he would stay true to his word. And protect the students. And that's exactly what he did there. So I don't think it was out of character for him. It was just a little early. Yeah. And it contradicted what happened in the book. Well, yeah. I always think, too, that it's one thing for him or Filch to threaten the students or to do stuff to the students. Because it's him doing it. Like, he knows how far he's going to take it. But when you see a giant-ass werewolf (laughs) standing there... And you're like, holy fuck, yeah, the mom, like, not that he's a mom, but the mom seatbelt right. thing happens, you know, where it's your mom stuck her arm out and she was your seatbelt. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm not a mom yeah. and I still have that reaction. Granted, it's I'm usually yeah. trying oh, yeah. to protect groceries, but... <laughs> you know what? Protection is protection. It's a reaction. And I think that it was an interesting choice because it was true to his character, but I think it still happened a little too early. Yeah. I think because I am disappointed, like we were talking about last week how they basically completely omitted his super unstableness, which he's unconscious for all this part. And by the time he actually wakes up, dude is still really fucking unstable. And we don't get to see any of that in the movie. Instead, what we see is something that goes against what we think about this man at this point. Mm -hmm. I very much agree with that. As a werewolf, Lupin does slash at them a couple of times, but before he can do any real damage, Sirius shows up in his black dog form and backs him off. He gets knocked back at first, but then manages to divert the werewolf's attention away from Snape and the kids by running off and leading the werewolf away. Harry darts around Snape and runs after them, pausing at a distance to watch as the werewolf lifts the dog up and throws him into a rock. Not a bit of this happened in the book. Like we said, the movie definitely had to make things more dramatic. 
Especially since it also had not Ravenclaw Harry deciding that throwing a rock at the werewolf was a good move. I suppose you could say it was in the sense that his intention was to distract the werewolf from hurting Sirius anymore. I mean, it did work well for that, but it became decidedly less of a good move as the werewolf turned his attention to the person who threw the rock. But as he starts to rush at Harry, a distant howl catches his attention. He pauses, hears another howl, and runs off towards the direction of the howl. Because a werewolf only responds to the call of its own kind. And this is actually a significant moment that we will talk more about later, but also did not happen in the book. <laughs> yep. The injured dog gets up and transforms back into Black, who stumbles away. Harry follows after him again and finds him lying on the ground next to the lake. The next part of the movie scene starts to line back up with the book a little bit better, though there are still some changes. While Harry and Hermione are trying to figure out what to do, they hear a loud yelping from a dog in pain. The two of them take off towards the cries coming from near the lake and run right into the extreme cold and fog. The biggest difference here is that Hermione is not present for this scene in the movie. Harry is checking on the apparently unconscious Sirius as the lake starts to freeze over. The camera focuses on Sirius's face as his eyes open and he gasps. Then it switches to an aerial view that shows us hundreds of Dementors flying above them. And this is another big difference because in the book, they're just gliding around the lake towards them. Because Dementors can't fucking fly. <laughs> in the movie, Harry stands and points his wand up towards them and shouts, Expecto Patronum! A white light appears from the end of his wand, but isn't strong enough to hold the Dementors back. In the book, Harry is desperately thinking about how he's going to get to live with his godfather and leave the Dursleys as he tries to cast the Patronus. Which was our trivia question. Yes, it was. Mm -hmm. He also asked Hermione to help, but she's not able to. And with the Dementors closing in, all Harry could produce was a small silver wisp. Hermione collapses next to him and he drops to his knees. An approaching Dementor sweeps Harry's indistinct Patronus aside. Harry could hear the rattling breath as the nearest Dementor lowered its hood and revealed thin, gray, scabbed skin stretched over empty eye sockets and a gaping hole for a mouth, sucking in the air and creating that rattling sound. I'm sorry, gaping is just the grossest word. <laughs> Especially when you put it right before hole. Yeah. The gaping itself's not or that mouth. bad, but when gaping hole, yeah. gaping hole for a mouth, yeah. Not a fan. This is another significant difference in the movie, because the Dementors don't really have hoods, nor do they ever lower them to show us what their face actually looks like. Kinda glad about that, if I'm not gonna lie. They're already pretty gross, just saying. They just fly instead and keep swooping in to suck the happiness away in a blur from both Harry and Sirius. In the book, the Dementor actually clamped its scaly hands around Harry's neck and forced his face upwards. Harry can feel its putrid breath hear his mother screaming, and is convinced that it's the last thing he's ever going to hear. But then, through the fog, he sees a brilliant silvery light growing brighter and brighter, and then falls forward into the grass. In the movie, the Dementors target Sirius more so than Harry. As they are surrounding them both, a little light emerges from Sirius's mouth and hovers above him. Harry whispers his name and then notices a brilliant white light in the form of a stag across the lake. In the book, Harry manages to look up and see that the bright light is some form of an animal, but as he fights to keep consciousness, he can't really see well enough to tell what it is for sure. But it drives all the Dementors away, and just before he faints, 
he sees a person who looks strangely familiar. And the chapter ends as he passes out. The movie scene ends somewhat similarly. The stag drives away all of the Dementors, and I vividly remember not being able to look away from the screen when I first saw the Dementors kiss scene. I don't know what I pictured when I read the book, but the way Sirius's soul was so bright and everything was so still in that moment up until it floated back down to his mouth, and then that shuddering intake of breath, I just, like, holy shit, I was hooked. Like, I couldn't eat. I was glued to the screen. I could not look away. It was amazing. Yeah, even though it wasn't at all what happened in the book, it was such an intense scene. I remember holding my breath the entire time Sirius's soul was hovering there. Mm -hmm. I didn't properly breathe again until he gasped. Right? Then the light from the stag begins to fade, and Harry can just make out the person who conjured it in the distance. Then everything fades to black, and the movie scene ends here. We have no new actors in this section, so we'll just go right on to our Potter ponderings. This week, we want your thoughts on how in both the book and the movie, Lupin transformed as soon as the clouds parted and the light from the full moon touched him. Was this a coincidence? Does the moonlight need to touch him? What do you think? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We really look forward to reading them. Mm-hmm. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Michelle Showalter. She writes, My house is Gryffindor, my wand is Hazelwood, with the Phoenix Feather Core. Ten and a half inches, and my Patronus is a hummingbird. I was eight when 9-11 happened, and my mom was immediately deployed. We were already living apart, divorced parents, and she lived in Florida while I lived in Alabama. We didn't get a phone call or anything since there wasn't time. All my dad said was, your mom will be gone for a while. We didn't hear from her for nearly a year. No letter, no calls, nothing. Wow. During that time, my second grade teacher knew all about this. I lived in a very small town, graduated with 90 people, and she was the one who tested our reading and comprehension skills. I was at an 8th grade level, so she gave me her copy of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, and I was hooked. I was able to escape into a world and not worry if I was ever going to see my mom again. From then on, my family got me each book for my birthday or Christmas, and my mom took me to the midnight release of Order of the Phoenix. It's been my escape and one of my therapeutic medicines since I was 8 years old. Right? Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Michelle. I love that. Thank you so much. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. Or you can just message it to us over social media. Our trivia question this week is... What charm does Snape think Black bewitched Harry, Ron, and Hermione with? The prize for the first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word hashtag Order of Merlin will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale, which will soon include something new that we are working on now. Thank Yay. you, Carly, for the idea. Exciting! <laughs> 
Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like Just Keep Rolling swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 21, Hermione's Secret, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. rolling.